many people think about you know the execution which is completely fine because at the end of the day you still need to do the work but they forget about systems about long term because if you have to update some pages okay this is not part updating pages is not a strategy it's part of your execution right it's something you do but you should have a strategy probably about handling your boring processes which is why I'm telling you to have systems like documenting your processes, honing them, understand how you can make it simple when it synergizes with other elements. The Strategic Marketing Show is brought to you by Insights for Professionals, providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands, all in a customized, tailored experience. Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. I'm joined today by a man who claims that you either use data or you get used by data. His current freelancing projects include helping content-driven websites and publishers better harness the power of data as part of their overarching content marketing strategy. A warm welcome to the Strategic Marketing Show, Marco Giordano. Hello, guys. Hey, Marco, thanks so much for joining us. So you can find Marco by searching Marco Giordano on LinkedIn or, of course, on Twitter as well. So, Marco, um, do you need to have tracking metrics for every single piece of content? Well, usually, yes, because if you can't measure something in marketing or even SEO, then you're not doing a good job in, you know, your strategy because you don't know how to track your progress and how to report. So it's also for efficiency. The answer is yes. Ideally, everything should be tracked, but it's quite simple to do it because if you have, let's say 100 articles, so if your content strategy has as an output 100 or any number of articles, ideally you should have some list, some file, something that is able to enclose some information about their performance. So some metrics that I'm going to mention should be tied to the articles, to what you're going to write in your planning so that you're able to monitor and fix as you are doing it. So I assume that there are different types of metrics, different metrics that you'd recommend for different types of articles, different types of content? Yes. So in general, the answer is a usual, it, it depends. But for specific types of websites, it's more likely to have some formats. For instance, if you are doing SAS, it's more likely to have a multimedia channel uh, channel strategy. So you're so a, a, a SaaS. Strategy. So you're talking about yeah, that. yeah, software as a service. It's more likely that you cover you have case studies or you cover some other formats where the success shouldn't be measured by organic traffic because you don't really care. You care more about the traffic in general or coming from certain sources like Reddit or LinkedIn, or probably by some actions. Like if a user clicks on a button or performs an action, that's already you know more successful compared to a page view, right? Because that's what you want to measure. In other, in other cases, like the ones I usually deal with, so mostly content websites, or this type of models where traffic is important for ads and so on, you don't really care about lead generation or about 
interest sometimes. You only care about, sometimes you, you can only care about page views. In other cases, about commissions, if it is an affiliate website, which is still an action. But you know, if it is B2C, you also need a lot of traffic, usually. So there are, di there are different, totally different concepts, yeah. So, so going back to your, your SaaS example there, um, you mentioned that having case studies is one of the most efficient, effective forms of content that you can have for a SaaS brand. And you mentioned that kind of click-throughs or kind of clicks within the page content um, are a good form of measurement. What about call to action? Are you saying that um, the best form of call to action within case studies is maybe to have some kind of um, book, some kind of initiating call with the brand? Is, is that the kind of call to action that you'd recommend within there? I mean, I don't work with those websites because I, I, I avoid them at all, like software as a service. But usually, yes, as a user, when I have to buy or do something, it's better to have a call to action like book, especially if your SIS is something very technical in my opinion, and I need to understand it. I would prefer some option like the one you mentioned in those cases. In other cases, like SEMrush, okay? If I am a private user, a private cast, a normal person, okay, I don't need to book anything. I just want the pricing or the button where I can subscribe. So it also depends on your audience. Because if it is more B2B, my opinion, or if you're selling something very technical, like some of my friends have very technical software where you need to be guided, then booking a call is the best option. But I told you, if it's something very simple or B2C, my opinion, you just need to show the subscription, subscription options. Or you can also have, you know, the option to let them subscribe to your newsletter. But again, that, those are not the cases I usually deal with. Because we pure content websites or B2C, I mean, you usually ask people to book a call. You usually ask them to subscribe to your newsletter or something like that. Okay, and um, how important are metrics like time on page um, or time spent on the website based upon someone discovering you through a piece of content. Are these kind of metrics key as well? Well, I'm not a big fan of Google Analytics metrics because they're hard to understand. I mean, to really understand them, not the actual explanation. So, so what's an example of the kind of metrics you're talking about? Yeah, I usually measure for, con for B2C content, uh, not for B2B. So let's, let's leave it out for a second. I usually measure, of course, clicks, impressions, CTR, the unique query count, so for page. So how many unique keywords that page is ranking for, okay? To measure the, the spread of that page. So how much topical we can say that page is. And this is a very underrated metric, but it's very powerful. I also measure decay. Decay, all of those metrics are not standard. You have to create them because the standard metrics you get with Google tools are quite limited. And that's normal because you have to create your own metrics. It's, it's completely fine. And what do you mean by decay? Okay, decay is a metric that signals, that tells you if that content, of course, if it is old enough, if over the last uh, period of time, weeks, months, you, you, you decide it, uh, has been losing clicks. So it's like a trend line, okay? 
to understand how it's going. And this matrix is only one value. And this value can be between minus infinite and plus infinite. So it can be any value, positive or negative, even zero. If it's positive, it means growth. If it is negative, it means decay. Zero, it means stagnation or stay, it's stable. So nothing, it's, it's happening. Okay, I think that's a, that's a really important uh, metric just to actually make sure that everyone's aware of and, and how it actually uh, occurs. So if you've published a piece of content maybe three years ago and you've had a lot of organic success from that, but you find that gradually the, the traffic volume coming to that page is decreasing, then obviously DK is what you'd be looking at, which is essentially the reduction in the level of organic traffic that you're getting. Yeah, the, the click through from uh, the SERP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, I just have some custom code to do that because this is something you usually do with other systems like coding or, you know, scripts. And I'm able just to add this column, this metric, where you, on a, pay, on a per page basis, so it's by page, you have this nice value that you can compare and see what's going on. So as you said before, if a page is three years, three years old, you have a lot of data, you have a lot of clicks. Because you have to imagine that, of course, if I do it by month, it will be 36 months at least, okay? Where you are able to see the slope. So the slope, like in high school, is the same concept, is what they use to, as, as a proxy for this metric. So if the slope is negative, as I told you, it means decay, because the line is going down, okay? If the slope is positive, it's going up, so it means there is growth. It's very simple. If the slope is kind of pointing to, towards a f flat, something like that, it means it's stable or there is, you know, stagnation. So once again, it depends on your data points, on what you have, your historical data. It's not for the future, it's for the past. And based on the past, okay, on what's already there, you are able to, to understand what you can update or what is no longer getting success. So, so have you been able to determine what uh, an average slope is like? Because I would imagine for businesses, once they publish a piece of content and start promoting that, um, gradually rankings will improve, uh, traffic volumes will start to improve, they'll hit, hit a maximum kind of point, and then you'll have the decay after that. Have you been able to map any kind of average slope or average reduction after a certain period of time? Well, usually I don't like to do that for one reason. Because the concept of averaging things can be dangerous. I understand that you need an estimate because it makes sense for decision makers. But in general, I try to first check depending on the type of website I have in front of me. Also, I, I use Search Console data, so it doesn't matter if they promote their content. Because it, it's not taking social media or other channels into account. It's only Google clicks, okay? So it's not biased by other channels. It's purely organic by Search Console, okay? So there is no bias in promotion. It's only about rankings. You can also do, I mean, you can also do the same if you use analytics with all the traffic, right? So you would be able to do the same, but you get into, into account all the marketing channels. So you can also do it. But my current approach is only with Search Console, so you don't take into account other channels. So, so just to, 
just staying on this point, for one more follow-up question, and that is, um, how do you halt decay and actually turn it into growth? Is that worthwhile doing? Uh, and if so, what do you do to actually improve it? Okay, like you mean one article that is showing decay, for instance, right? Yeah. Okay, so I don't, I don't, I don't update articles like by themselves. I usually check the group. I check individual articles, but also groups. So what I do is that I, I split the website into sections or categories. If they already have them, it's easier. If you have a content plan or something, some internal data, I can just, you know, join them and it's finished. Or I can also scrape the website to find some relevant sections or labels that I can use. So I measure group performance, okay, like you have the group books on your website. This group is showing decay. And I'm able to then pinpoint within that group those specific pages that show decay, okay, and work on them. And how I work on them, like practically, first of all, I check the introductions. Because the introduction is usually the part where people make the most mistake and one of the most important, because Google is able to understand, of course, your text. And what's written in the first uh, 100 words is like a myth. I mean, I don't really know the exact numbers. In the, you know, in the first words of your text, so the introduction, is more important. Because Google values more the entities placed at, at the top. They have an higher relevance to the article. So it's important to keep introductions short, around, in my opinion, 150 words at most. But it can change. But in my opinion, that is a good balance. And to mention your concepts right away, because many introductions are fluffy. I mean, they are diluting your text. They should be straightforward. If you're talking about, I don't know, roofing sealants, okay? You shouldn't start talking about your company. You should just say roofing sealants and go on. Mention the main concepts and go on. Cover the pain points of your user, potential user, customer, and so on. Then I check the structure. So the headings, okay? Usually this is not where I see problems, unless it's really a bad website and they made the structure completely wrong. Uh, a very common example of that for my websites, I mean, it's not a bad structure, but it's very old fashioned, is when you have the H1, which is like, I don't know, uh, 15 best ways to prepare a toast. Okay, something like that. And then the first H2 is literally the clone of the H1, which is a very bad practice because this comes from a background which is very old, where they thought that stuffing keywords in the headings helped. Okay, which is true. I mean, you should put keywords in the headings, but with some dignity. I mean, there is a limit. So you're talking about the main heading and the subheadings of the page. So just don't repeat them. Don't have the same subheadings as, as, as you've got for the main heading here. They should, be, they should be unique. Otherwise, you don't need the heading because it's already included in the one before. So that's what I usually check. Then I also try to add the usual on-page stuff. I try to, to add, you know, a bullet list because Google loves them. And also because machines in general love these type of structures and also for the users. Because I find that many articles can benefit from such simple fixes, like having a bullet list, because they are more visual and fast to understand instead of having three lines of text. If it is a comparison article, 
uh, or if this an article where you can make comparisons, or you need to summarize some facts, then tables are a must-have. Okay, because usually people think that content decay can be fought by just adding more text. Like you are not ranking, just add more text. And it's not really true because sometimes you don't need to add text, you need to add other components or to present uh, content in a different way. And here are the real skills in content marketing because this is not only SEO, this is also content marketing. You should be skilled because you have to understand how to present content in a different and more efficient way. If you have an affiliate website and you are doing a product round, uh, roundup, if it's called, yeah, something like that, you need to include tables. They are very useful. Also, Google is also telling you in their guidelines that they are good. So you should include tables, not just add more text, because, you know, it's not really relevant for the user intent sometimes. The last piece of, you know, stuff I do is, of course, internal linking, which is super, super, super important. No matter what's your website, internal linking is a must-have. And I also check the anchor text. Like, what are the anchor texts you are using? And this is simple to do. You can just use Screaming Frog and you have the opportunity to check your internal links, to export them in Excel. And then you can just, you know, see your anchor text. You don't need to check them all, just a quick overview, okay, in five minutes, and see what's going on. Then if you have a more specific subset of pages, you can filter them and see what are the, these anchor texts by page. Like, what are the anchor texts that this page is getting? Like, when they link to it. Internal links and not backlinks. I'm talking about internal links. And this is what they usually do. If the anchor text is the title or something very sketchy or coming from automated solutions, I recommend putting something more custom within the body. So if you have to link to a page, which is, for instance, I don't know, uh, let me think about an example. The best uh, hoods, I don't know, the best uh, iron, iron bars or something like that. You would link to this article with, some, with an iron context like uh, best iron bars, okay? Or most recommended iron bars. The important is that you keep, you know, some coherence, some consistency, because it can confuse Google and the user if you link to the same page with a lot of anchor text. So, so that's some great examples there. I mean, you, obviously you started off by talking about how to define how your existing content is performing and if it's not performing as well as it used to be, then how to actually improve that, how to enhance that, how to bring more visitors to that. And you mentioned Screaming Frog there, that's obviously an SEO crawler. Um, but um, I'd just like to follow up just with one other thought slash question, and that is actually thinking about how to find future opportunities. I mean, it's all well and good to look at what you're currently doing, um, but how do you use data? How do you use your metrics that you have to decide on what content that you need to publish in the future? Okay, so this is a predictive question. So well, what I said before is descriptive. So for the viewers, it means that descriptive is about what's happened. It's about the, the, the what, what already going on. So about the past, okay? Because we are describing our data. So what I said before is about showing the decay based on historical data, 
what's going on, etc. This question is a, this problem is more about predictions. Okay, it's about predicting what can be useful. I'm not really a big fan of prediction in SEO for one reason. Uh, is that that SEO data are very bad in terms of quality. So by quality, uh, I mean to explain it very simply, uh, I just mean that we don't have processes or strong checks, quality checks on uh, the data we get from Google because they're already filtered. We don't have anonymized queries. A lot of them are sampled. So, I mean, in my opinion, this is not really the definition of quality. So that's why thinking about prediction is very hard in SEO because you are not very sure about the quality of your past data. You don't even trust your past. So it's hard to base your decisions to make future, you know, to make future choices. But I, my approach for, you know, for the future, for prediction, is usually to first understand the website, like what are their main topics. And then, once I have this information, find possible topical gaps, okay? And ask domain experts, so subject matter experts, if you, if you prefer, to, because they all usually know the trends. So this is not something I do with a machine, okay? There are other methods, like there are methods that you can use to predict the future in SEO2 forecast, which involve using like time series. So based on historical data, you're able to, to, you know, to predict what can be in the future, what can be a possible trend. But I'm not a big fan of this approach because Google releases a lot of updates. It's not predictable. Okay, that's good. That's great. Um, so what you're essentially saying is your own data is based upon what you've already achieved in terms of successes. And uh, even data from other sources um, might predict what is currently happening, but it's not even necessarily going to be able to predict what your target consumer is going to be searching for in the future. So you need to have conversations with uh, people who are active on the ground, influencers, as you mentioned, maybe the kind of questions that your customers are asking your customer success team, your sales team as well, and to incorporate that into the decisions for the content that you intend to publish in the future. Yeah, correct. That, that, that's exactly what I mean, yeah. Great. Okay. And you also mentioned beforehand, um, before we started recording, that you thought that wise.com were doing a good job with their content. So, so why do you feel that is? Yeah. So I was reading a like a presentation. I don't recall if it was for Brighton by the head of SEO, if I recall, of Wise. And they had this very nice, you know, architecture. They were showing how they handle data in Wise. I don't recall the exact context because, in my opinion, a presentation is not enough. You have to be part of the organization to understand all the nuances, right? But it was more about storing data, like in BigQuery, which is a data warehouse, which is data warehouse system. So where you just put your data there, okay? So they are safe, and how they were retrieving them, so pulling this data to put them to use, like uh, how to measure uh, attribution, if I recall. It was about attribution uh, of, our, of, of all the channels, how to understand what's performing well, even though it wasn't really specified about the metrics. If I don't recall exactly if they were mentioning the exact metrics they were using, but it's not a problem for me because I told you the best metrics for organic success are always about clicks, impressions, the unique query count, 
decay if it's old, and then if it is an affiliate or another type of website, you can in include some sort of revenue metric. But it's not part of Search Console of Analytics, maybe. You may also use other software or have other data sources. But this is not really a, a problem. And they were also mentioning, if I recall, Google Trends, which again, it's a nice tool, even though there is no official API. So there is no, you know, if you have some piece of software, if you want to create some software, as far as I know, you can only use an unofficial version, which is, in my opinion, still good, still enough for many needs. Even for big companies, I think it's already better than having nothing. So if I recall, they were mentioning uh, Google Trends to, to access their content as well. Because sometimes what's going on is that you can have a drop in, impression, drop in impressions. But maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it's just seasonality. Great point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Great point. So um, it's easy sometimes when you're looking at your own data to think, oh, my goodness, about a 50% reduction in the traffic that I'm getting for this. But if you're not mapping your own data against actually what's happening with everyone else using a tool like Google Trends, then it could be normal. It could be seasonality. It could be uh, a particular trend for a product or service is naturally not as popular as it used to be. And you need to focus on other things instead. Yeah, much like heaters or refrigerators. They are very seasonal businesses. So your data are going to be skewed in some periods. They are going to be kind of strange if you don't know the context of your data. So not necessarily thinking about what we've been talking about so far with um, measuring content success. Well, what's the number one thing that marketers need to be thinking about to incorporate into their strategy? Well, first of all, I would say not for tactics, but just for strategy, systems, like solid and reliable systems. Because in my opinion, they are not only a tactic, they are part of your strategy. So what I mean is that many people think about you know, the execution, which is completely fine, because at the end of the day, you still need to do the work. But they forget about systems, about long term. Because if you have to update some pages, Okay, this is not part, updating pages is not a strategy, it's part of your execution, right? It's something you do. But you should have a strategy probably about handling your boring processes, which is why I'm telling you to have systems, like documenting your processes, honing them, understand how you can make it simple when it synergizes with other elements. Because if your strategy is to tackle certain topics, right? To target a certain audience, you still need a process or to have systems for that, which is, you know, very simple to say, but very hard to implement because a system, a process is not that immediate, even if it is something simple like editing and publishing an article, because it's simple, no? Once you do it, you find there are a lot of bottlenecks. Like, like, for instance, if I am writing an article and the editor tells me it's wrong, then I have to fix it. What about I fix it and then there are other problems? You see? It's another bottleneck. And a lot of people don't think about that during their planning because they only think about execution and, you know, only about getting things done, which is great. But you still need to take into account, you know, these problems, these challenges. And a great way to do so is to have reliable systems, processes, 
that you are able to improve because you can say, oh, okay, if this happens, then we are able to, you know, we should do this one instead and adjust our strategy, probably, if necessary. Yeah, it's a great point. And it also actually leads to having a more consistent approach when it comes to publishing a specific type of content. I mean, here at Insights for Professionals, um, this particular show, for example, is published as a blog post as well. And there's a system for creating a podcast episode, creating a video from that, the the blog post and social uh, videos from that and looking at the metrics from that. But if you're not consistent in terms of the style of content that you produce, maybe if you produce commentary as blog posts, you know, lengthy articles, and you're doing things on an ad hoc basis in terms of what you just feel is right at that moment, you're not going to have that system in place then because you don't have that consistent form of content that you're producing. Yeah, this is what I mean, especially if you have um, you know, a multi-channel approach, because if you create a, an article, right, and you want to distribute it uh, as a podcast, as a video, as multiple social media posts, then you need a good strategy, a good approach for doing that. Because what you describe is a system. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Marco Giordano by searching Marco Giordano on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Marco, thanks so much for being on the Strategic Marketing Show. No problem. The pleasure is mine. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple to connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. InsightsforProfessionals.com